And one of my business mentors said before, when I was just a content company, he was like, you need a product, you need a product, you need a product. If you want, you know, like seven, eight figure revenue, you need a product, you need a product. And I was like, I don't need a product. I'm delivering content. That's my passion. He's like, you need a product. Okay. I got a product. <laughs> now I'm over here. And it evolved into now my largest revenue generating company. It is the most stressful of the evolution because I'm dealing with things on a whole nother level. But part of our products are uh, insoles, socks, release tools, toe spacers to help people reset, recover, strengthen, and connect to their feet so they can move well, uh, reduce their falls, improve their performance. So there's this movement longevity component. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I am super excited to have our guest here today on the show. Her name is Emily Splickle. I had to practice that, guys. Okay. <laughs> and she is a doctor and a businesswoman. And I'm super excited to talk to her about that whole spectrum that she embodies what she has learned from being a, a doctor and running a, a medical practice, but also how she's built a business and how that all unfolded. So it's super exciting for me to have you on the, the show and welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure. And I'm excited to share some business tips with the listeners. Awesome. Okay. So I have a little bit of a funny story. When my team sent over that, you know, here's this podcast guest and take a look. I was like, come on guys, why are we having a podiatrist on the podcast, right? Like I didn't get it, okay? And then I started poking around your website and seeing that you have this product-based business, which we're gonna get into in depth and that you've crossed over from service to product. And then you, there was stuff on there about regenerative medicine and the science of aging. And I was like, oh, this is all about like the energy of showing up as an entrepreneur also. And then what sold me, Emily, is that there's a really freaking sexy picture of you <laughs> on your website and you're showing off your long legs and your podiatrist wearing high heels. And I was like, okay, I got to know more here because I, this is, this is my first question. I'm going to just dive right into it. Like I came into my love of high heels late in life. Like I grew up uh, in California, but my, my formative years after college were all in Berkeley, California, the land of women with com comfortable shoes. Okay. Like no one wears high heels. Um, it's a cultural moray to like wear clogs. Okay. <laughs> and it was only later as I started to embody the truth of who I was and people who've been listening to the podcast have heard this evolution of this story of like stepping into my personal self-image and self-worth and what lit me up and how I wanted to show up in the, this world that I started wearing heels. And I, I remember like I bought a pair of Jimmy shoes and I, I bought, bought Jimmy shoes, not shoes, shoes and a, a pair of Prada boots. And I was like, I love these, right? Um, and I love wearing heels. I don't wear them every day. Like I'm not wearing them right now, but there's a time and a place for them. Okay, so that's my lead up. Tell me. <laughs> 
how is it that you're a podiatrist and you're rocking the, the you know, the three inch heels? Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I uh, love heels as well, although my brand has evolved slightly. So if any of the listeners follow my current brand, it is a little bit more barefoot, minimalist, natural. However, it did start in New York City. I lived in New York City for 20 years. The height of my like, you know, transition to New York City was the Sex and the City era. So I'm in my early 40s. That will just date me <laughs> on it. And I was very Carrie Bradshaw with the heels walking around New York City. So I loved them. But kind of this evolution of any of my media of me associated with high heels is that my background is that I started in fitness and I've actually been in fitness for over 20 years, personal trainer, group exercise, all of that. Which is where you like freaking rock and legs come in like that. picture. <laughs> I get, yes. My, my publicist called me Dr. Legs and I was like, yeah. whatever. Okay. But I was reaching a point where I was like, I've been in fitness for, you know, eight years at that point. And I was like, I need something to show what, how I've evolved and needed like a product. This is the entrepreneur in me. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years. So I was like, I need to have something. What resonates with me and the truth of who I am and my identity was, okay, I just graduated podiatry school. I've been in fitness for eight years. I'm very sex in the city, Carrie Bradshaw heels. So I created this stiletto workout. It's called Catwalk Confidence. Uh, started kind of pitching it around to different gyms, hired a publicist, it totally took off in the sense of the polarity of podiatrist and heels. So I was on the Today Show, the doctors, I taught Oprah how to walk in heels. I did all of this stuff because of, again, that polarity. So for the listeners, anyone who's trying to go towards media and wants to have the virality or the, really that polarity of media is you need things that are like, like, wait, what? People have to pause. It has to be edgy. It has to be bold. It you really have to challenge conformity for media to grow. Right? Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I'm like going, okay, this is I'm, I'm willing to listen. Okay. So pause right there. What was it like teaching Oprah how to walk in heels? Like everyone has to ask you that. So I'm gonna ask you too, because of course we're all curious about Oprah, who raised us all and is such an icon in the world. Oprah is a businesswoman. Yeah. I will tell you that. So meeting her, she was all business, right? I was her guest on her stage. Don't forget that, that I was on her stage. And it was funny. If you look at the video, you can still see it on YouTube. If you Google Oprah Stiletto School, you'll see the video of me teaching her. But people joke because she introduced me and I was like, okay, everyone. And she gave me this look like, what? Like, who are you on my stage? It was so, so funny, but I loved it. I loved the experience. I love live audience. I've done quite a bit of media since then. Um, she's great. She has an aura around her, which I'm sure a lot of celebrities do, especially to her caliber. Um, but she's a businesswoman. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. So, um, Let's keep going with this. So you started off with the like catwalk confidence stiletto school and running a podiatry business. Both things were taking off. Was the, the podiatry business successful also? And did you like that as much as running the catwalk confidence biz? Yeah. So the, the 
Catwalk Confidence, it became a brand. So I was doing media. I wrote a book. So all of this was happening kind of at the same time as me very early in my podiatry career. And again, still in New York City, because that, that's a pivotal part of it is me being in kind of the Manhattan atmosphere. And what I saw is that I was actually enjoying the entrepreneurial business side of idea creation and seeing how people respond to it, right? I created a product, a fitness DVD, a book, and for people to use those products and give feedback that was like, oh my gosh, I just came up with that in my mind and people are responding positively to it. Just really fed the entrepreneur within me where being a doctor is still entrepreneurial because you are maybe a solopreneur, you're running your brick and mortar medical practice. But then this is the other thing that happened is once I was on Oprah, companies started to contact me and say, oh, you are a doctor, so you have the credential and you know how to talk on TV. It was just like sold, like check, right? And I know that this is audio versus video, but they were like, oh, and you have this very relatable look. So they're like, it works, it fits. So it was kind of these three things that they were checking off, this all-American kind of look. And so I got hired to be a spokesperson for various companies. So I was getting paid essentially a monthly retainer for them to use my name and to create some content for their website. So that further fed this entrepreneurial aspect of what I could do with my medical degree. So I started to really leverage that side of it. And I was like, oh, okay, you can make money as a doctor by not just seeing patients. Yeah, I freaking love that. So a few things that I want to dive into there. There was a feedback loop that you really got, I'm going to use the word addicted in a positive way, right? Because it had had some really positive ramifications, right? That this idea creation, client feedback, customer feedback, um, but also, you know, business and financial success feedback, right? So I think that's an important piece to the entrepreneurial journey is that you're getting feedback and acting on it. Did you have, when you started out and you were like, you launched this course and you're getting all this publicity, did you have people that were coaching you, mentoring you on how to do PR or how to do TV or, or were you winging it on your own? Like, I think this is one of those things that, that is, um, at least for me, a really interesting uh, I was going to say dichotomy, but I think of it more as an integration. Like, I feel like entrepreneurs, I'm curious about what you're going to say, but I feel like entrepreneurs are people who have incredible DIY work ethic. I can do it. I'm responsible, 100% personally responsible and know how to get help. Like they, they, they know how to leverage relationships and really accessing information to shortcut what otherwise can be a quite extensive journey. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my initial media was not good. It was like the deer in the headlights, total panic. I was going into a survival mode because I was like, oh my God, there's cameras and lights. And my, my mind was going way too fast for me to hear any of the questions that were being asked to me, which any of the listeners who maybe have done some media, it's, it can be very, um, you know, uh, throwing you off of what you're normally used to. And that was now 13 years ago. 
something like that. So this is that's when all of that started. It was 13 years ago. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Florida filming a infomercial. So it was the first time I did an infomercial. And the director asked me, and he was like, have you actually done formal training? And I was like, no, it was actually me 13 years ago starting being very bad. And what I did is I would watch all of my segments. I would listen to every lecture that I gave and I would be critical. And I would look at what am I doing with my hands? You know, am I smiling the entire time? You have to be really cheesy and like over exaggerate your smile because on TV, it translates in a certain way. Uh, how am I answering the questions? Uh, I did have a publicist and the publicist did guide me a little bit. Uh, when I did a couple of things on HSN for brands, they actually give you coaching lessons or speaking lessons on how to sell sell on TV? What's the art of controlling the narrative when you're on TV in an environment like that? So I've done a little bit of once, but it really is me through critical feedback and then understanding what the listener wants to see and hear and the smoothness of that experience. And then at the end of the day, really, if you're the business, you need to always control the conversation. So if you are doing a interview on, you know, Jay Leno, who's not on anymore, but you know, in like a late night talk show, it totally dates me too. But you always want to try to control the questions that are being asked. And if you're selling a product, somehow you got to drop it in there at any point that you can in a in a seamless way that the listener doesn't feel like they're being sold. I don't I don't do sales. I yeah. weave it in on a way that is educating and empower the listener to want to buy into what I'm selling. No, I love that. There's so many things I want to riff off of there. So first, the way that you approached bettering your best, right? Like in self-improvement for your business, for your brand is just like how pro athletes watch game tape. Okay. And it's what I do with my clients when I'm helping them either with a presentation on stage or a sales conversation. I'm like, send me the recording and we're going to look at this. But I also do it for myself, which is what you do. And I don't know if it was uncomfortable for you, but I did not want like, like all my discomfort. Oh, I sound like that. But my, my voice is a little high and squeaky and I'm speaking like this or I'm doing that. It was uncomfortable for me. And that was something that I had to just go forward and do and understand a certain amount of it is this who I am and I have my quirkiness and that's what makes me attractive. And then this over here, this is really like, you got to drop this, this habit. So I find that that like fascinating. Did you hear that someplace? Cause I, I, I actually learned that along the way. And it's been one of the things that I've used over and over again for myself. And I coached on that, but how about you? Yeah, I think that I must have, cause my publicist would give me feedback, but the publicist was not really like a vocal coach or a media coach. They give you some basic guidelines. So I think that I had heard it and then just really wanted to be good at it and not, you know, be insecure. And, you know, a lot of it also for the listeners is if you're doing something and it's going on the internet, like my Oprah episode, there's so many haters that will 
say such awful stuff in the comments that it's the one thing that I did tell my publicist that I was like, I will watch my segment to learn from some of my like ticks or whatever that I do to empower the way that I deliver on media. But I will not look at any of the comments. And I said, that's your job. If there's some comment that we want to respond to or it's positive or you want to share it, that's what I'm paying you for. I am not going through them to then filter through people who are very critical, who really just have no voice and they're using it as a platform. Yes. So there's that. You have to really keep your environment super, super clean and strong boundaries because it's very easy to like something winds in there, hits your subconscious programming and you're down the freaking rabbit hole and, and it will affect your business. Yeah. I want to bring this back to your business and to the idea of wearing heels. So let's go full circle on that. So um, tell us a little bit about the, the product business that you have as well. And I, I need an education on that and start from wherever you want to start, but like, give me the context on it. And is that going to allow me to wear high heels some of the time and still not destroy myself so that I can age beautifully and have great energy and slay my day. Like <laughs> tell me there's a way. Cause so here's the truth. The truth is that I will wear heels if I go out to din dinner with my man or something like that. That's a very, that's like ballet, right? Like you get dropped off. You're not walking far. It's okay. I'm yeah. not, I'm not worried about that. Then there is the times where like I'm doing an event, I'm on stage, whether it's virtual or, um, in person and I feel powerful in heels. Like I feel sexy, I feel empowered, I feel hot. So I wanna wear heels. Now, generally speaking, I, I've, I've figured out a, a little bit of a chunky heel that's still sexy, not the full chunk, which I don't find super sexy, but like, you know, still a lot of sexy, a little bit of chunk. Um, but I will wear heels for a 10 hour, you know, stage event. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, wow. Like during the day, you're, you have a lot of adrenaline. You can lift cards with your pinky finger. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, you're like, what the friggity frig am I going to do tomorrow? This is insane. Okay. So is what you have going to solve my, my end of day heels? Yes, keep you in your stilettos. Yeah, I will find okay. a way to keep you in your stilettos. <laughs> um, so I will, I'll share a little bit on the evolution of my companies to end up where I have products, other products that will help you wear your heels and all the listeners stand their heels if they want. Um, but so my first business was this Catwalk Confidence Stiletto Recovery brand or company that had the workout videos. Stiletto Recovery was a program on how to recover your feet at the end of the day and wearing your heels long hours. I wrote a book to kind of educate women, the consumer about different heels, feet, foot health. So it started to kind of evolve out of this just stiletto. Okay. Now, another important part of it is that the workout to help women to wear heels was actually a barefoot workout. So it was almost like a vertical Pilates. It was all on one leg. It was my understanding as a fitness professional and a podiatrist that this is how you strengthen the feet, core, shoulders, so that you can stand and walk beautifully in the heels, not just wear them, but you wanna walk in the heels and look beautiful. So that, that's what it was about. Now, all that media was like, Podiatrist stiletto, podiatrist stiletto. And I was like, wait, 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 that's actually not what 
the messages here, it's not, I loved heels, but it's not what I was advocating. I was advocating, we need to strengthen our feet and our posture through these different techniques. So this started to evolve into my next company, which was a very barefoot, natural foot function focused. This was also around the barefoot running boom, the born to run book, the five finger shoes, the little monkey shoes that were out. So I was living in Berkeley during that time. <laughs> yes. So this was probably two years after that other company launched. And I'm now like, okay, that was actually what my message was in the first company. So I saw an opportunity and I sought out that opportunity. And I was like, you know what, within the fitness space, just the fitness speaker circuit that I was also speaking at conferences is no one has this combined fitness podiatry. So I was like, if anyone's going to talk about how to strengthen your feet and the power of natural footwear for movement, I was like, it should be a podiatrist, like my background. So I saw this opportunity to seek that out. So I evolved into my second company back into this opportunity to bring revenue from being a doctor, I was then a hired as a consultant for Nike, Atrax, OrthoFeet, so many, many footwear companies, and they would hire me to just hear how I looked at human movement and the foot. And I remember at Nike, the innovation kitchen, they would fly me in, hit record, and just say, talk. And I would just talk about how I looked at feed and movement and you know, kind of the beauty and the complexity. And they would just record and like pick my brain for several hours. And that was an awesome evolution into kind of the next phase of my brand. That then evolved into a content-based company. And the content was YouTube videos, blogs. I wrote another book. I wrote a chapter in a textbook and it kind of evolved into this, okay, I'm more than just heels. I do content and consulting with my medical degree in my background. That then led into my final company that we will reference is a product-based company that I was seeing the impact that my content was having on humanity, let's say. Helping people with foot problems, movement disorders, people who want to wear heels long, doesn't matter. Everyone was noticing a difference in the way that they move from my content. So I was like, okay, if I could create a product that could further that message and the impact of my content, that's another revenue stream. And one of my business mentors said before, when I was just a content company, he was like, you need a product, you need a product, you need a product. If you want, you know, like seven, eight figure revenue, you need a product, you need a product. And I was like, I don't need a product. I'm delivering content. That's my passion. He's like, you need a product. Okay. I got a product. <laughs> now I'm over here. And it involved into now my largest revenue generating company. It is the most stressful of the evolution because I'm dealing with things on a whole nother level. But part of our products are uh, insoles, socks, release tools, toe spacers to help people reset, recover, strengthen, and connect to their feet so they can move well. Uh, reduce their falls, improve their performance. So there's this movement longevity component to my current 
company, which is called Naboso. So for you to wear your heels, yes, you would want to release your feet with our neural ball. You'd want to put on our toe spacers at the end of the day. And when you're not in your heels, you would want to wear our insoles, which have texture on it to release and strengthen your feet. So then, yes, I will help you stay in your high heels. <laughs> I have a ton of reflections and questions for you. Okay. So the reflection that I'm seeing here is that you started with one thing and you weren't satisfied. You were pleased, you got the feedback, but you always saw that you wanted more. You were drawn forward by the desire for something that the next idea got in your head and you went for it. And that this, this is layers, that you don't start dropping from the sky into a business like this. I think there's a lot of misconception in the world around startups. Like I have this idea, I can just like start. And, and there's truth to that. We live in the United States. It's like can do attitude. We have a huge amount of freedom here. Like if you have a will, there's a way. I, I believe all of that. But there is also experience that gets layered on this. And you know, you, well, you started with your fitness practice, then you started with your medical practice, and then you had a combined uh, product, and, and then it became publicity, then it became uh, consulting and service, then it became content marketing. Like, you're layering all of this, and that builds this incredible foundation for a product to really take off. So I, I would love to know what the timeline from, like, when you went from, I guess, starting your medical practice, right? Mm -hmm. And to today, like, what is that evolution? And I'm glad that you said that because that's an important part that sometimes people will look in and say, oh, it, I can just create a product and it'll explode. Or I can just put myself out there and companies are gonna pay me thousands of dollars to be their spokesperson where it, it was years and years of layers and slowly building and evolving and keeping a focus on the bigger future picture goal without ever putting a ceiling over your head. Like that's one thing that I'm, I'm really passionate about is whatever I do, any decision I make cannot put a ceiling over my head because I have no idea what I'm going to think in five years or what next kind of ideation will come up. But just kind of from a timeline is 2008 is when I graduated podiatry school and launched this catwalk confidence, the stiletto brand. Two years later is where I launched the barefoot kind of content. Uh, I was speaking on the global fitness education circuit. So I was really doing public speaking and education. So that was in 2010. 2012, I cre formally created my education company, which has certification and courses for health and wellness professionals. So it was 2012. Then uh, kept doing that, of course, doing consulting. I think in 2012 also was like the consulting for Nike. So they kind of overlapped a little bit. Started doing R&D for my product company around 2000. 14, it took two years to do the R&D for this company that I now have because it was massive material testing and could not be an overnight launch. So it took two years. I launched that company in 2017. So Naboso launched 2017. Now 
2022 is, um, you know, we're seven figure revenue for Naboso. My education company still exists, but it's a well-oiled machine that is about half a million in revenue. So it's, it's just an animal that works on itself. And then my podiatry, I do see some patients consulting because that's the undertone of every single thing I do is I'm a doctor. So it has to kind of be under everything. And then my consulting spokesperson, um, I do that now as well. So that's kind of residual income that people will use my name. So it's kind of where my companies and my brand are right now. The one next evolution. So my goal with Noboso is to be acquired, to grow it, get acquired so that I can do other aspects of what I envision with my brand and my knowledge and things like that. Uh, and I have several book offers with different publishing companies that I, I, I can't do it right now. I don't have time to write. So that would be really the next company that I envision outside of Noboso is that I would just be able to write and publish various books. I love it. And in case you guys didn't do the math, that was 2008 to 2022. So that's 14 years. So you did things very quickly. Like you took things from idea to creation very quickly, but you kept, I call it running the stairs, right? You kept going quickly. You didn't stop at these, these plateaus that people get at. And as a result, you're able to have these multiple channels of income. Right. One of the things we were chatting before we started, like one of the things that I teach is there's only three ways to make more money. It like everything comes in these three ways, raise your prices, right? You sell more widgets, more product, more of your services, or you add another channel to your business. And you just referenced, you know, you have this content marketing uh, side of your business that brings in half a million. You have this product side of your business. It brings in seven figures, you have consulting, it brings in this, you have in your medical practice, it brings in this, right? Like you're layering and you're adding new channels, but not all at once. This is like the key point that I want to make. She did it quickly, but she layered, she added, you know, it's additive um, to that. So, okay. So let's talk about this product-based business. Mm -hmm. um, two years of R&D. How is that for you as clearly you're a quick decider, quick action taker, and, and you understood that you couldn't shortcut this pro process. You really needed to do that um, methodically. How was that? How did you have to shift how you showed up or, or walk that line uh, when you were entering this new phase? Yeah, well, I, also, I, I will go into that. I do want to share for the listeners that me entering that phase was kind of the universe saying it is time to do it because as this content education doctor phase of my career, I was consulting for many fitness companies, product-based companies and creating courses for them and things like that. And one of them that was very foot-based who was my mentor that said, you've got to create a product, got to create a product, had showed me various ideas of products that he was thinking of. And I was like, I, I just don't think it's going to work in the market as a podiatrist. I'm just going to say, I don't think it will work in the market. And I said, I have several ideas that I think of how we could kind of disrupt the foot health space. 
that company then kind of went through this chaos and then eventually were acquired, but their COO was in that meeting and heard, and he left the company because it was acquired. He came to me and was like, I remember like a year ago, you had said you had this product. I'm now independent engineer. Do you want to kind of work together and actually create this product? So it was me kind of like, okay, this opportunity came, I need to kind of go with it. Um, so part of the R&D is that I didn't really know what the product was. I was like, I just want something to activate the feet and thought like a surface. I was like, what could be a surface that could help people get even more out of their feet when they're training or exercising once they get out of their shoes? So can I reinvent the yoga mat? hypothetically, right? So I was doing a lot of kind of backend research and then we got into texture and all of our products have little tiny textures on them. I don't know if people can see the videos, but um, there's little pyramids across the entire material that we use. But then we had to play around with the compositions. I didn't know anything about manufacturing, especially overseas. So our products, our initial R&D was done in China didn't know anything about that. So worked with my engineer and I was learning a lot of the process and testing and what calmed my anxiety of how I like to move quickly from ideation to launch is I had my other businesses that were growing, bringing revenue. I was creating new courses. So I was feeding the innovation side that I feed off of while this product was slowly being developed over here. Um, but R&D is a very uh, patient process. You must be very patient. It's also very expensive. So I had, I invested about 75,000 of my own money into the R&D of it for products, first prototypes, engineer fees are extremely expensive, patents. Um, and then because I had this company and this brand and this education company with professionals going to my certifications, I had an audience. And I essentially said, I'm coming up with this idea to help people activate their feet more. So this captivated audience. And I essentially said, I ran out of money. Like I, I don't, have any more money. And I got two people within that group who invested another $50,000 into the company, which at that point allowed it to get to the end stage of R&D. So that was an important part of it as well for the listeners is the reality of R&D is the monetary side of it as well, not just patience. And that's some of the hardest part of business to date is you need money to make money, especially with certain companies. Yeah. What I love about that, Emily, is that you weren't afraid to ask. Yeah. So many people stop because they're afraid to ask. They're afraid to look foolish. They're afraid to be judged. They're afraid of rejection. They're afraid that someone's going to, you know, control them with the money, whatever the story is. So they, they have this fear before they even have a conversation with someone. But you wanted what you wanted badly enough that you were willing to be like, hey, I love this. I, I believe in this. I'm all in on this. Look at, look at what I've done, my time, my effort, my money. Are you all in on this too? And, and that's fantastic. And I'm sure they're thrilled now with the investment that they made, right? You know, now yeah. it's a bigger yeah. 
business. So I love that. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you, you, you made a little offhand comment uh, a few points ago around that's the thing that takes up all my time, even though I'm still in my, my medical practice and doing these other things, like I can't write the book because I'm doing this. And this is always, you know, the, the juggling act, but clearly, clearly, I just want to give you props here. Clearly you're able to do quite a bit. Most people can't even run a medical practice. Most people are overwhelmed by, you know, showing up there and coming home. Okay. Like there's running the staff, running the team, running, you know, processes, the systems, being a good doctor, whatever it is, fill in the blanks for whatever industry you're in, dear listener, right? Like this is one of the things that especially, you know, this is the Unstoppable Woman podcast, especially women get challenged with because of our upbringing and kids and responsibilities and all of that. So with that as the, the frame up, can you give our Unstoppable Woman listeners who have the drive and have the desire and they're really going for more some tips for how you were able to grow your capacity and even though of course you you still have the same 24 hours as everyone else how you think about time and your approach to that yeah i love that question and part of it is you have to have the fire under your ass in the first place and so there, Emily, okay, this is one of my bugaboos. We'll get back to my original question. Okay, this is one of my bugaboos. Like you have to want it badly enough. Yes. Like, that, like you have to have an urgency. And it's one of the most challenging things I think for people is to really claim that, that desire and that urgency. People say they want things all the time, but when push comes to shove, they don't want it badly enough. They're not willing to make the choices that are required to execute on something. And everyone has, you know, I'm not perfect in this, this realm. Like I was just thinking about how, you know, there was a, a time where I had let go of 30 pounds and I started to run and I finished a marathon, I, I ran walk and I was like, feeling so good about myself, already had slayed in my business. This was like going from couch potato to, to like, oh my God, I can do this, wow. And yeah. then, then slowly, falling back into my old ways, not quite the same level, but you know, I'm not running a marathon right now. And like, there is a like, okay, do you want it badly enough? Like you have to make choices in how you use your time. Like if I want to have the killer runner's body that I used to have, then I have to actually run. Right? You know, like you actually have to, it's so basic, but it's true. And, and in order to make the decision to do that, which is much harder for me than the business side of things, I have to want it badly enough. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm outing myself on that front, but like, this is, this is, a, I think a big deal for people. Okay. It's a big deal for me. Anyways, you have my, yeah. Yeah. No, no. I love that. I love that, that you do want it bad enough for me i have always had this finder in my ass because i grew up in north dakota town of 300 people very you know blue collar saw kind of the isolation of growing up in that small of a town and very landlocked and i was like i need to get the hell out of here even as like a child i understood that there was this massive world that was beyond 
was 300 people in North Dakota. Uh, and I knew that I had to do that. Then I moved to New York City, which is a dog eat dog world. And it, I think it was the perfect environment for me to have this, I will do bigger and better than my parents did. And then in a city that will eat you up and spit you out unless you are hustling. And I always put myself in situations that I had to hustle, meaning my rent would be just a little bit more expensive than I should have had it. But it was what I needed to keep me focused on hustling. So I think just years and years of that. And then from an early age, wanting to do bigger, better than how my parents did. So that's in my DNA now that I can't just veg on the couch all day or kind of be like, ah, what am I going to do today? So we're yeah. a living example of this, because one of the things that I did to get leverage over myself was. I invested big into my business in a way that like I was contractually obligated to pay fees, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that was such a big amount that it was super scary and almost, you know, destroyed my marriage. It didn't, but, you know, it, I got leverage over myself by making a big investment. And then I started to do things that stretched me financially. At first it was like getting a manicure because I never spent $45 on a manicure. Like it terrified me. Okay. Like I really, I was like, that's not me. I can't do that. And then it became, you know, hiring a personal shopper, flying first class, um, staying in a suite in a hotel, all these things that I had uh, limitations on and saying, I can't do that. I can't afford that. That's not who I am and really wrapped up in my belief structure and my self-image. And so when you talk about that apartment, right? And always stretching yourself, this is exactly the same thing. It's like, it's not for the faint of heart though, Emily, right? It's like, it puts you under some pressure. You can't skate, you, you have to keep growing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I honestly do think, cause sometimes I think this, that there have been times where I'm like, whoa, how am I going to pay rent? You know, and I just have to continue to do my daily hustle and believing in what I'm doing and then put energy into the universe because, you know, you know, someone's watching over me or something that there would be then another company would contact me to do a spokesperson gig. And it would kind of like continue to allow me to do it. But I think some of that is just like energetically what you put in the world. Um, the other aspect of it where now I am today with a daughter. So time is very restricted, 42 family, very different than when you're in your twenties and you can, you know, work 20 hours a day and sleep for two um, is that I enter each day controlling my day, meaning I I'm not reacting to my day. I don't react to email and to phone calls. I control it, which means if I have to silence everything, not open my email inbox until I do, I'm a post-it queen. So I love post-its. There's post-its all over my office. Um, and I have my list of to-dos. I have to tackle that before I start doing these reactive tasks of my day, because your email can totally suck eight hours out of your day because they just come in and going back and forth. It's the energy yeah. rating, 
right? It's and then just, energy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The other thing that I do that, that I do want to share from, because again, we are, we're running businesses. I'm continuously tracking what my e-com sales are, B2B invoices that are coming in, you know, for this Naboso seven figure rapidly growing company, I am on that revenue. So if I see that revenue is not where I would want it to be by 12 o'clock or noon, as a content person, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to get out there? And I'm going to do one task today that is hustling towards revenue. So I'm like, pause everything, do, do, do. And I write a blog. And then I post the blog, I blast the blog out, I put it on all the social platforms, or I do an IG live, or I do something to connect with some influencers, but I'm doing something that I can control, which at the end of the day is really content. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop another YouTube video, something to percolate my audience to maybe drive the D to C sales where I want them to be by 12 o'clock. And that's what, when we have salespeople and they're kind of flatlined, I'm like every single day, you should be waking up and say, what are the things that I need to do to bring in that purchase order? And what is it? Do I have to call someone 10 times? Do I have to do something? But you have to ask yourself and do that thing, whatever it is, versus kind of this research. I'm like, if you research how you feed the top of the funnel, that's great. But then you still that day have to do an action that is going to drive a purchase order into our revenue. I call this move the needle actions. Okay. These are like, and, and that whole thing that you started off with about like, you're watching your numbers. Okay. This is like, make love to the numbers. Like you have to track your numbers, like have your metrics, know what good is, know what not good is red light, yellow light, green light. Where are we at? Like you need to know those things and then you need to be agile, be able to respond, not be in reactive mode, but respond with the things that you know how to do. So I freaking love that. So my 83 year old mother, I'm super proud of her. She like got through COVID and like was like, I'm going to travel again. And before COVID, she was going on, you know, five trips a year. Very like, I wouldn't call her athletic. Okay. But she's energized by travel. And so she went out on her, I think it was her second trip, but her her first birding trip, she's a bird watcher and and she's super excited. She gets there and she's out on the first day going birding with this tour. And she walks into an animal hole, like a rabbit hole or a, a gopher hole or something. And she steps into it and breaks her ankle. Okay. Falls for it. Like, like minutes into this experience. So it was a, I won't go into the long story, but she's back in recovery, back in Los Angeles. And she had surgery and she's hopping along with a walker right now. She's about to get the boot on and she's, she's on her way to recovery. Oh, we're talking to a podiatrist. I know that's not an ankle mm-hmm. specialist, but I think there's probably like one of the things that she's going to have to learn how to do is walk again after this. So I would love to know from your perspective, what does regenerative medicine have to offer? Can you first explain to the audience and me as well? Cause I know like this much, just a little bit about regenerative medicine. Like what is that this, what is the science of aging and how could it help my mother heal her ankle and walk better? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we're now going to my other company, <laughs> which is my podiatry practice. And I, as a podiatrist, I actually have controlled my brand or my story as a podiatrist to be a functional and regenerative podiatrist. So what that means is outside of how I was taught to look at feet and movement from a really mechanical perspective. So orthotics, art supports, flat feet, high arches, very mechanical base. I challenged all of that and started researching about neuroscience, anti-aging science. So I look at the foot as a sensory gateway. I assess the timing and coordination in which the foot strikes the ground and then how that affects all the way up into the pelvic floor, the way that people breathe. So I actually work with a lot of people with chronic movement disorders that really it is a stabilization or the timing of a stabilization response within the body. This is kind of functional. Kind of what weaves out of that is regenerative and this is chronic soft tissue injuries, or in some cases it can be acute that you're trying to repair uh, some aspect of it. And what regenerative medicine does is it is based off of supporting the body's natural response to injury. This may be through different injection techniques, such as PRP or platelet-rich plasma was one of the most uh, well-known on the market. Then there was really a stem cell boom, and there's some podcasts and documentaries around the controversies around stem cell injections. Um, but really they were, when they first hit the market, they were placental based stem cells or cells or umbilical cord blood or Wharton's jelly. So they're part of this um, kind of placental umbilical environment that has these naive cells that can differentiate into different cells and tissue. Okay. Most of that research is around arthritis, specifically knee arthritis. So if you inject PRP or uh, amniotic or umbilical stem cells, kind of loosely used stem cells, stem cells into a knee, it will stimulate the chondrocyte to create cartilage. And then that's a, a treatment. Um, now there's, it's a, it is one of the newest areas of medicine, which means that there's a lot of research that is still going underway. I've been doing regenerative injections for the past eight years. And that's primarily what I do when I see patients in person is I will do various types of regenerative injections. They are typically growth factors and I will do them for ligament tears, tendon tears, plantar fascial tears. Uh, you can do them for arthritis, even though it's a, not as effective in the foot, um, but that's really what I do in addition. And then you can support regenerative injections with things like red light therapy, laser, uh, systemic enzymes have anti-aging properties to them. So it's this whole kind of space. So for your, this is your grandmother? No, it's my mother. Your mother. Okay. So you're, for your mother who fell, I would, she's post-op. I'm sure she has some hardware in her ankle. So I would look at more, the regenerative side is probably a little bit difficult because you would want to do it in the OR when she was doing the surgery. However, what we can do is talk more about the nervoso and the textured insoles that I developed to help your mom now feel more confident and aware of her foot placement. As you become 83, the 
the nerves in the bottom of the feet start to age and the accuracy of her foot placement, even before the fall, was most likely a little bit off and she might not have realized that. And then that's where the combination of finding a rabbit hole and navigating it quickly was just a little bit difficult at her neuromuscular state, right? So then I would want to work with her to keep her barefoot, how to activate her feet. I would want her to connect her feet to her core, use the Naboso products to actually feel the feet and feel the ground again. And then she will be moving very well, even though she has a history of an ankle fracture. I love it. Okay. Well, I'm going to turn my mom onto this and uh, we'll see if she, yeah, uh, she, she takes me up on it. So I love that. A um, couple more things, regenerative medicine and the, the stem cell work that you do. Um, how is it different than say the stem cell work that happens out of the country? So this is where I'm, I'm very naive and limited in, in what I, I know just enough to be able to ask this question, but I've heard lots of uh, people talk about going to Panama and getting regenerative medicine stem cell work. And I don't know what the, like, is that dangerous? Is that a bad idea? Is it just different? Is it different? Uh, how is it different? Yeah. Yeah. So most of the work of the stem cells that is out of the US is more intravenous and they're using your own stem cells. So we have stem cells in our bone marrow. So you could tap the iliac crest and essentially draw out the bone marrow, spin it down and then re-inject it. You can also get it from adipose tissue. So the fat, so they would essentially do like a lipo, right? And pull the fat, spin it down and then re-inject it into yourself to do it. Now it's very, controversial on the benefits of that, where, where you often hear people doing it is um, they have a neurological condition or uh, Lyme disease, something that is, you know, a complex systemic condition, and they're going to another country to have it injected back into their vein. So it's intravenous, right? You can get that done in the U.S. So it's not like it is illegal in the U.S. and that you can't get it. It's going to cost you a lot more. So the injections that I do a small amount in the foot is about $1,500. So for one CC, if you're injecting like 10 CCs, imagine that that's now like tens of thousands of dollars, right? So people are probably going to get more of a lower cost thinking it. that it is, Hey, they're drawing my blood or my iliac crest or my adipose tissue. So it's me anyway. And then injecting it back in, I always question the sterility of these processes. Sterility meaning cleanliness, like sterile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Meaning the, the entire process and the tools from, you know, how they draw it out of you, spin it down and re-inject it into you that whole process is not regulated the same way in many other countries. And that's one thing that you can think whatever you want about the US healthcare system and our insurances and how it's just out of control. But the standards that the government and regulatory agencies put on the healthcare system for standard of care and sterility and testing and testing again, really does put the safety mark very high. And I, that's why I would be extremely, extremely cautious of doing that in another country. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I saw on your medical website, which I absolutely loved, 
was this statement. I'm going to read this. Okay. We hold the power to our health and well-being in our own hands. This means that every patient who is treated by you must accept and take ownership to their treatment plan and commit to the necessary steps needed to improve their life. So for me, this is all about personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've learned in my entrepreneurial journey is that the way to go from being the, the reactionary, um, trapped victim human who doesn't have agency and doesn't have freedom is to take 100% personal responsibility for all your actions, whether they result in things that you love and desire or things that you don't love and don't desire to be 100% personally responsible for your outcomes, no exception. When I owned that, when I just like was like, okay, I'm going to do this 100% of the time, like not be like, oh, over here, not my fault. Okay. Like when I owned that, it was like someone handed me the freaking keys to the kingdom. Like I suddenly had total freedom, total ability to grow. It was phenomenal. And I didn't go into that sort of, you know, like mental up and down ping pong, internal ping pong machine. I had so much, it's not that I don't have moods, but it, it's, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't have that, that totally like reactive response, re- reaction. And, and yet it took me personally a long time to learn the truth of what that meant. I, I don't know if it took me a long time, it's all relative, but it, it, it took me a period of time to, to really learn the truth of that. And it's something that I, I see my clients challenged with it. In fact, like it's the topic, I, I hold a mastermind, it's called the Spirit of Wealth Mastermind. And we do retreats twice a year and the next retreat is coming up. And like the topic of it is 100% personal responsibility and it leads to freedom, right? Which is why I'm going to teach on that for this retreat. But so talk to me in your medical practice, when people are used to just like, doctor, come fix me, right? Mm -hmm. Please give me, give me the shot in my foot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and make me feel better. How do you coach them up on this very concept that is so obviously important to you that you put it like top of your, your website. Yeah. Yeah. So all my patients have to sign something (laughs) that says they are going to be an active participant in their healing process. And I think it also is that a majority of my patients are coming to me after seeing 10 other doctors, physical therapists, they're frustrated. They've been in kind of the cycle of the medical care system. They're still not better. So there's this chronicity to their condition, which leads to a higher self-investment in the process. And I also don't take insurance. So they're paying for my services. So there is a financial investment. There is a frustration of like, I need to get to the root of the issue in the patient. And then just kind of the chronic nature of time that they've been dealing with the condition. So I think all of that combined, I get very good compliancy with them. And then I spend, I spend an hour with every patient. I spend that hour 
educating them on their condition, why they experienced it, really the sequelae or the future of what that condition would present with. These are my treatment protocols. I send them very detailed emails with step one, step two videos, products, like it is like their recipe to get better. And then they also know that they need to do this, you know, every single day, whether it's for 15 minutes or whatever the protocol is for a good six weeks before I add another layer on top of it. And I tell them, I say that we are doing this to create a habit or a lifestyle. Everything I tell you is not to just, you know, do it for four weeks, you're good, you're kind of out of the, the dark period. It is to create this habit and this lifestyle. So it is a belief that I have as a podiatrist and that most of my patients start to uh, buy into. Uh, I think that a lot of the content that I put on YouTube and you know, blogs and podcasts, however people may encounter me, is they become so invested in that I'm invested in them as well, that they, we become kind of a team on this. And I'm an advocate for patient empowerment and patients are empowered by knowledge. So I never talk below my patients. I really educate them and I use appropriate terminology and I want them to understand and really own their conditions and know what it means. So it's it's kind of me saying, well, you have to be an active participant, but to do that, I'm gonna help you by empowering you. So now I'm giving you power back so that you feel like you have the skills to be an active participant in your healing process. Yeah. What I love about that from a business perspective is how it comes full circle, right? You did a ton of content marketing in the beginning of your um, entrepreneurial journey. And you just mentioned your YouTube channel where you do content marketing and you have other social media channels, right? You do content marketing around this idea of collaboration, partnership, taking personal responsibility, uh, patient empowerment, so that when someone actually makes the appointment, comes in and talks to you, your, your content marketing has already done a lot of the heavy lifting for mm -hmm. them really stepping in and, and being compliant. So I love that. Okay, before I ask my last questions and give you some reflections on, uh, my takeaways here, where can people find you? If they want to find out about your functional medicine and podiatry work and when, you know, I don't know if you're doing the catwalk confidence still, or, you know, where can they find the, the breadth of your, um, products and services? Yeah. So my website for my podiatry practice is my name. So dremilysplickle.com. I am on Instagram for that brand, which is dremilydpm. So that's my social channel linked to that brand, my education company, just in case any of the listeners are curious to see a content or education based company and how I format that is EBFA global is my education company. It is a course on social as well, EBFA underscore barefoot education, and then Naboso, which is my products company. The website is naboso.com. That's N-A-B-O-S-O.com. And then we are on social, uh, Naboso underscore technology, N-A-B-O-S-O underscore technology. I love it. And we'll put it all in the show notes so people can find that easily. Um, go check her out, see what she's got going on there. Okay, so 
what makes you an unstoppable woman? This is the, the podcast for unstoppable women. And I always love hearing how people self-define around that. Uh, I would say living my day with passion, passion and authenticity. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Great. So a few reflections. Thank you so much for your generosity of spirit, of information, of spending the extra time, of telling my mom who I'm going to send this podcast to, um, what to do and how to approach things and, and all of that. But the level of generosity and, and the way that you think about your journey and, and seeing how that all connects together and, and the pulling out of the salient bits, I think is so helpful for people because oftentimes people see that the after and they're like, oh, you just drop from the sky like that. But uh, you really shared all the, the, the points of evolution and what you had to do and, and the level of specificity that you gave is, is just tremendous. You know, the thing that drops in for, for me specifically thinking back on this is just that concept of looking at your numbers, tracking that and responding in the moment with a needle moving action. This is something that it's not like you used to do and you never do now. It's like, this is what you do today. This is, this is how you're living and, and walk in the talk, um, how you manage your time, how you manage your day. So I'm incredibly grateful as I know our listeners will be that you shared all these gems and thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course. Thank you so much. And I would definitely come back. You just let me know. Okay. Well, now I have to come up with a, a whole nother set of questions, which I don't think will be that hard. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Emily. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for joining us and being part of the Unstoppable Woman movement. We have got a ton of free resources for scaling your business at theunstoppablewoman.com slash free stuff. And you can find that link in the description below. So go ahead and check those out. And we'd also love your help in getting our message out to more and more women. If you'd be willing to share this video with all the unstoppable women in your life, that would be fantastic. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Reviews, likes, and comments are greatly appreciated. We go in and read them all. So thank you for those. And thanks for listening and be unstoppable.